Nothing you hear in this program constitutes investment advice. It is an expression of opinion only. This is Frisbees, Bulls and Bears. Talking money and markets, what's happening and why. We talk to the experts, the traders, the investors and the companies they're investing in. You're listening to Frisbees, Bulls and Bears with Dominic Frisbee. Hello and welcome to Frisbee's Bulls and Bears. I'm sitting with Fred Harrison, renegade economist, and with Mike Hampton, uh, investor and author. And uh, in today's program, we're going to talk about some of uh, Fred's economic and social theories. Um, so, um, Mike, why don't you kick things off for us? Yeah, I, these questions partly come from the website, and uh, I, I posted a little note on there asking people to put questions forward. So... Uh, if I could ask a few of those. Um, I'll try and, and lump a few together so it might be a little bit easier to answer these since we don't have unlimited time. Um, the, the, uh, Brown, when he was chancellor, promised an end to boom and bust. And uh, in part he achieved that um, by uh, preventing, well, by through his policies and actions, helping to forestall a re recession in about... 2002, and that was mentioned in your book, which I thought was quite an interesting chapter. Um, but by preventing an end, by allowing an end to boom and bust, he seems to have created a bigger boom and maybe a bigger bust. You're expecting a depression in in 2010. Uh, you mentioned already five quarters down. Um, the mainstream economists seem to have missed this. Um, so I'd like to ask, like my readers would like to ask. Um, why has mainstream economics failed us, and how can we fix it? Well, uh, it's, it, failed, it hasn't failed us. Mainstream economics is doing what it's required to do by the people who hold the power in the system. And that system doesn't uh, uh, need anybody to be raising questions, doubts about... Uh, the sensibility of speculating in land and building up debt in the way that it has traditionally uh, been the case, leading to the kind of bust that we have. That doctrine is not authorized. So what the economists offer, Friedman and the rest of them, is all within the comfort zone of the structure of our society, the power structure. So they're doing their job. And so they haven't actually failed. When the economy collapses, of course, they then have to attribute it not to the structure of the economy, the system. They have to uh, decide that these were random, unforeseeable events, so they can't be held responsible. So that's what we're now being told. The shocks are always external. So how you can have an external shock in a global economy, a global business cycle, coming from Mars or the Moon or somewhere, I, I don't yet understand. So uh, this, this has to be the explanation. The answer to your question is actually so serious and has to be uh, explained in, in a documented way, and I'm actually in the process of doing that. 
because uh, a glib answer now will just sound uh, too fantastic. Uh, so uh, may I settle for simply saying, actually, the mainstream economists haven't failed. They've done, they've been doing what their masters require of them. What do we do about it is your next question. How do we shift? Well, we don't. Uh, because unless there is a popular demand for a shift to reality, we will continue to um, pay lip service to the economics of delusion and debt as the way to get wealthy. And uh, it, for so long as governments and the main players in our society can get away with it, that's what's going to happen. And how you break out of it is something that reformers over the last 200 years, beginning at least with Adam Smith, have failed to achieve. If you, if you think that the, the great philosophers of the past actually proposed the modernization of their economies, such as let's reform the tax system so that we reward the in people who work and who invest and let's pay for public services out of the land values, when you realize that even people like Adam Smith and John Stuart Mill failed abjectly to make an impression on their governments, then it's not surprising that when we, are, we arrive at the situation today where uh, people who are not such giant figures such as myself don't actually get a hearing at all. Uh, it's as if I don't exist as far as Gordon Brown is concerned. Yes, I wrote to him in 1997 and gave him a detailed exposition of how it was going to happen. Will he admit that? Will, he, will there be any reference in his memoirs to it? Of course not. I told uh, Mandelson that I, would, that I was his worst nightmare because I would haunt him today if he didn't do what he should have done then. Does he care? Of course not. He berates economists for doubting that they know what they're doing. And these are the people who brought us to the state that we're in. So uh, how do we get out of it? Uh, the answer is, I don't know. The only way to get out of it is if enough people want to, to break into a world of economic reality. If the global shift of economic power is so huge, as I believe it to be, uh, the center of gravity to the east, and if the consequences are so grave, then a lot of people may uh, decide that the time has come for change. But I can't even take um, uh, any comfort from that thought because in 1931, at the, at the, right at the beginning of the Depression, uh, this country, Britain, legislated for a change in the tax regime. It was a perfect proposal in the budget of 1931. Here was the opportunity to get it right and to implement a rational way out of what might otherwise become the Depression of the 1930s. What happened in Parliament? Instead of doing the right thing, in 1934, having allowed that law to remain worthless, dead on the statute books, it then just simply cancelled the law to change the, the uh, rewards, uh, the, the pricing mechanisms at, that work within the capitalist economy, the one that would have favoured the uh, extraction of the UK out of the Depression in a controlled manner. We cancelled, government cancelled the law in 1934. So, and, but, and yet the incentives to implement it 
I would have thought were there, but they didn't do it. it. So they were more willing to allow things to dribble on. We had the property boom in the, around the 1936, the suburban house building, and well, the way to save the economy was to have a huge destruction, a world war, kill a lot of people, and lo and behold, we can now start to rebuild the new economy. That's what we're up against. And uh, how do we get out of that situation today? The answer is, I don't know, because better men than me in the past have failed. Why should we succeed? Fred, we were talking about this a little bit before the show, um, and, and one of the problems that we, we were discussing was that the people who, uh, if we change to, to your plan, which would be to tax land, um, if I can put it that simply, um, there would be a lot of losers, uh, probably. A lot of people who, who own property today would see the value drop, and it, it, it would be very clear to them how much they're losing, whereas the winners will be harder to find. They might come later. They might, they might benefit. Most people might benefit from a better economy. So it's hard to get the, the potential winners to line up and fight the losers who have a clear interest in preventing these ideas from get, get going forward. I think one thing, and even on my website, I think people are a little bit afraid of the consequences of taxing the land. Um, and so is there any assurance um, or reassurance you can give people that they will be better off and the system can move forward in, in a way which won't destroy the economy and won't destroy their wealth? Yeah. The answer is yes, it can be done. Uh, and they will be better off and better off very quickly. They're worried about destruction of their wealth when their wealth is already being destroyed. So now it is not the idea of a land value-based fiscal regime which starts to reduce taxes on their earnings and investments that's the problem here. Already the present system is destroying wealth by the trillion around the world. So we can't blame a fiscal reform, okay? Uh, and so the question is, um, can we demonstrate that people would be better off and better off quickly? And the answer is yes. But it needs the economic profession and the politicians to uh, articulate uh, this better way of going about business. And they won't do it. And the very first thing that they will do when anyone raises the possibility of this kind of change is to beat it down, as we've seen in the last week when the Liberals, Vince Cable, tried to float a, a version of this kind of reform. Uh, he was berated very heavily for uh, not having done his sums, uh, for threatening the uh, cash-poor asset-rich widow. It's always the widow that's invoked against his policy. She can't afford to pay the land tax. She's sitting on a million pounds worth of real estate, but she's only getting a hundred pound a week uh, pension. And so she... the answer is, of course, there, are, there has to be a control transition. People who are, who are genuinely unable to benefit from the readjustment of the uh, tax regime need to be supported. And uh, we can po point not just to theoretical ways of doing it, but throughout the world there are examples of how ju taxing jurisdictions can help property owners 
For instance, in California, if a municipality decides it wants to spend X million uh, improving the infrastructure of their town, they're going to, they choose to, they create a spe special benefits district and they, they impose the capital cost on property owners. If a property owner says, well, I'm a widow and I sit on a million pound or a million dollar house and I can't afford this, they say, fine, a lien will be placed on your property and when you sell up or die, then the benefits that you will receive from that capital investment will be paid off then. The municipality doesn't lose, the property owner doesn't lose, and they, they've been doing it for decades. So for, for here in the UK to attack the Liberal Democrats for arguing that they want to punish widows when they say, but look, there are ways of dealing with the transitional problems uh, is, shows you how this is one subject that isn't allowed to be debated rationally. Governments are allowed to introduce arbitrarily any kind of tax, VAT and whatever, and with almost no research, really damaging people's prospects, and they get away with it. But the one change that would actually put the whole system on a rational footing and that's consistent with the ideology of the market economy isn't allowed to get a fair hearing. But isn't it true that a lot of times new ideas come out and they're always attacked when they first come out? The first time they're seen, people do nothing but attack them. But if the ideas stay in the public discourse, eventually they get, um, they get listened to. And, and, and eventually they get accepted after, and, and they, I can't remember the exact cycle, but ridicule was one of the steps. Yeah, and maybe we'll move beyond ridicule to no. serious discourse and acceptance over a period of time. But look, this idea has been with us for at least 225 years. Adam Smith in Wealth of Nations spells it out, the appropriate way to fund the capital costs of uh, public uh, investment is from a land tax. So from then on, it's been there. They didn't take any notice of him. They didn't take any notice of Ricardo through the uh, utilitarians, uh, like the two Bentham uh, father and son, through John Stuart Mill, through to Alfred Marshall in the last century, all the way through to today. Nobel Prize winning economists will say, yeah, it's a good idea. It, but it's not allowed to be, and it's been uh, twice in the last century, it was actually put on the statute book and then cancelled. So you know you're dealing with something fundamental here, that reason is not allowed to prevail. Well, I, I, I think that... And yet, may, may, I, may I interrupt? And yet, in Hong Kong, which is where you live, so th th there's a model... Uh, of how things ought to be done. Now, Hong Kong is acknowledged by the Wall Street Journal and the right-wing Heritage Foundation in Washington to be the freest, most prosperous, corrupt-free, uh, investment, investor-friendly economy in the world. And yet, almost all the land is leasehold and the government funds huge amounts of the infrastructure out of the ground rents, which it receives either from auctioning sites or the annual charges. But that story is never told by anybody, no, just about nobody, certainly not British people like the last British Governor-General of Hong Kong when he wrote his memoirs and spoke highly of Hong Kong, didn't give a single word, or if they do, it's a problem. The problem with Hong Kong is it's got too narrow a tax base, they say. So the answer is what we want is a broad-based tax system. Why? 
because oh well, but because we want to conceal from people the way we're damaging their uh, activities with all these bad taxes, we mustn't have a narrow tax base that's good for the economy and good for people's incentives. Why? Ask yourself why. But actually, when that tax was proposed, some sort of uh, sales tax. For um, Hong Kong, yes. And in, in, in it was very unpopular. It was, of course because it was. But actually, the IMF worked so hard to get it accepted. And they, I don't know how close they came to succeeding, but fortunately they didn't. In fact, the vast majority of people in Hong Kong pay no tax at all. I think something like 50% of people are not even required to file a tax return. And so and why can't we have that in Britain? And the answer is the political power structure won't allow it. And so your question it really has to be addressed to the man in the street, not me. Uh, how do we make this change? That's it. We know the numbers. We, we've got professors who will tell us if we make this switch, the increase in people's average wages goes up by many thousands of dollars a year. And, and out of those increased incomes, you invest in your pensions that are not going to be the subject of boom-bust, so you don't actually lose large parts of the capital you accumulate over your lifetime because you're free of the tyranny of, of a land-led boom-bust cycle. Uh, you retire earlier. You don't have to work as hard because living standards are, are, are higher during this process. But that's, not, that's unauthorized. That's not allowed to come into the domain of economics or politics. So... Your, your uh, subscribers to your website are entitled to fe be fearful because they are subjected to a tyranny of economics that won't allow them to understand what's good for their future. Brad, do you think Vince, will, Vince Cable will just give up with this? I mean, he seems to be one of the very few sensible people in politics right now who forecast the problems we're seeing today, has, uh, has proposed some sensible ways of dealing with it. Do you think he's just going to give up, or do you think he's going to bring this back in another form? Well, the party will give up. Uh, the, look, the, the, this proposal has been in the Liberal uh, Manifesto for the last hundred years. Uh, I gave up on the Liberals as a parliamentary candidate in the 1970s because although this, this uh, policy was part of its manifesto, I could see it would not pursue it, and being a member of parliament would be worthless in terms of raising people's awareness of of the need for change. And so it comes on and off the party manifesto now and again, and uh, it, in my view, no, it won't go anywhere. In the U.S., there's a guy called Peter Schiff, who uh, you may know of, who, no. who makes, uh, he's written a book called uh, Crash, Crash Proof. And um, he, he speaks a lot of sense on economics. He's got a rather huge following in America and also on my website to some degree. Yeah, he's very outspoken and he gets, every now and then he's on kind of CNN or something and argues with everyone and wipes the floor with them all and they all, he gets, makes himself very unpopular and popular and, at the same time. And he went through that ridicule phase as well where it used to be when he was on CNBC and the other shows they would laugh at him because he was talking about there's going to be a crash and get out of dollars and get out of U.S. securities and, and have a better chance to get, get, get out of property. And now he's right, so he's actually respected even on the mainstream. Well, my thing, my point is, he's running for Senate. I think he's announced already, or he's about to announce. He said he had to raise a million dollars first to do it. He's done that now, or just about done that now. And In record time, apparently. Yep, and he's probably going to announce any day now that he's running for Senate. And there's another guy who's running for Senate who's the son of Ron Paul. And um, so these... People are making a real attempt to get in, into Washington and make some changes. 
Um, why aren't we seeing more of that in the UK? Um, of course, uh, they, they also had uh, a guy who was going to make a change in Washington. His name was Obama, right? Uh, and what happened with Obama and his change? He walked straight into the trap set by Wall Street and Harvard. His, all his advisors are synchronized to the authorized way of doing things, and there will be no change in America, even though the president says, elect me because there's going to be change. Uh, yeah, people, why haven't we got more? Well, we may have. I, people I, are so disillusioned. I think that's right. I was just going to offer something. I think the English... You know, America's a young country and people are more ambitious and the English have a much more tired, cynical, can't-be-bothered attitude because I think we know deep down that nothing ever changes. Yeah, so but we're, we're, this time around we will see a few renegade candidates around because they, they're so disgusted with, with the, the parliamentary expenses scam that uh, a few of them are, are very determined. Uh, good for them, but once in... in uh, the House of Commons, what difference will they make? Zero difference in terms of how the economy evolves over the next 18 years. On the last show, I interviewed the Taxpayers' Alliance. I don't know if you've heard of them. Yeah. And uh, some of the comments I've had already was, I wish these people would stand for government. So th there, is, there is a desire for the change. But, but even so, I think we're too cynical. But uh, there's an example of the way even the people who want to make a change are actually part of the problem. The Taxpayers Alliance says, uh, up to a certain day in the year you work for yourself and thereafter you're working for the government. And so that therefore causes people, reinforces people's prejudices against the government because you're working for the government, because your money goes to the government. Uh, but that's not true. What does the government do with our money when it, ta it taxes us? They don't go off and spend it in the main. They're actually supplying us with transport systems, highways, and so on. But uh, the transport, uh, sorry, the uh, Taxpayers Alliance bends the reality to prejudice people's minds against government so that there's this hostility towards the public sector and the decision makers and parliament uh, in a, that's in, a little in bit a, unfair on them they, it's uh, absolutely un it's, I think it's totally fair they are, they are part of this corrosive process of detaching people from governance by saying you're working for the government we are not working for the government you're working for yourself their, their campaign is against waste it's against government oh, waste oh but that's a cop out waste Look, the Tories are against waste Labour's against waste whenever they want to they know they're boxed into a situation where they don't want to say they've got to raise taxes uh, they don't want to cut taxes so oh we'll find money from somewhere called waste well of course there's waste but you can't run Britain over the next five years based on we'll just get rid of some waste. It's a cop-out. They don't know what to do. So it's an easy way. It won't offend anybody. And that, that's why things will not change. Well, well do you see the system falling <laughs> okay. apart? Um, because, I mean, we're into a box now. Where the revenues coming in aren't enough to cover the expenses that we're, we're, we're seeing in this country and also in my country in the U.S., um, it certainly, it works in Hong Kong, but, but not, not in the U.S. and not in the U.K. 
do we have to go through a disaster like Iceland before people see the light? Where are we headed with this? Well, but I've already given you the example of the 1930s where despite the huge disaster, people didn't see the light or weren't willing to make it happen. Uh, so we've got to always test the current uh, situation against, well, that's what the inability of a system to do the right thing despite the worst of possible circumstances. Uh, so, can, can you see the possibility of a Daniel Hannon character waving your book and saying we need a, a new way forward? Yes. Actually beginning to get the yes, public support. But, but yes, but for decades there were a number of MPs in the House of Commons saying what I've been saying to the point where they were laughed at whenever they stood up because people knew what they were going to say. The system has a way of containing the renegade who, tell, who, who focuses on this thing. Our, our society has been excellent at reforming you know, slavery, sending kids up the chimneys, factory acts. They, we have, the British people are decent people, and we've been willing to do all those things. The one thing that we will not allow to happen, and I'm afraid it is we now because we are, quote, a property-owning democracy, is the one fundamental change that will abolish the 18-year property cycle. Fred, but let's be honest. You're really hoping somebody's going to stand up and say you're wrong, and, and, and I'm going to take this on and make this happen. Well, you're waiting for that. Thank you're you daring much. someone to do that. Well, and, and still, with my colleagues on the Renegade Economist uh, uh, website, we're, we're straining. Of course we are, but we, are, we don't delude ourselves, and we're trying to find ways of accessing public understanding. Uh, but we know what the odds are. Well, gentlemen, I think it's time to draw this to a close. It's been a real pleasure speaking to both of you. Why don't we start with you, Mike? Would you want to give your website a quick plug? Yes. Um, I'll start a discussion about this uh, talk and uh, welcome participation, globaledgeinvestors.com. And Fred, uh, why don't you give your, your book uh, and your website a plug? Well, The Renegade Economist is a website that welcomes people's uh, views and uh, please uh, look at the movies that we're making, the uh, ones on our YouTube channel as well, because there's a lot of good sense in there. And uh, in due course, very soon, our book, Screw You Economics, will be available. And I think you'll find that there's a lot of fighting talk in that. Good stuff. Fred Harrison, Mike Hampton, thank you very much. Frisbee's Bulls and Bears is presented and produced by Dominic Frisbee. To discuss the markets and have your say, why not visit our forum at globaledgeinvestors.com. That's globaledgeinvestors.com. To join our mailing list so you can be updated as soon as a new show is posted, please email info at dominicfrisbee.net or simply subscribe through iTunes.